Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. What did I say when uh, Montreal moved on and beat Toronto? I was like, they're going to run into a tough time with Edmonton or with uh, Winnipeg. <laughs> About that. About that. Who knows anything anymore? What matters? Who knows what? Nothing. No one can predict anything. It's all just hot air. Kudos. The fact Montreal. that anyone listens to us at this point is mind boggling. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Montreal has, yeah, they have run into the absolute perfect storm. A mediocre team squeezes into the playoffs, plays a team with a history of choking in the first round, runs into a team missing their star player for reasons, and a team, Winnipeg just looks bad, like bad. And Montreal is probably going to be going to the conference finals, which, hey, in the long run is a good thing. Because, again, I'm still on record. I don't think Montreal is that good. But the longer they keep Ducharme and Bergevin around, the better it is for the rest of the division. Well, I want to say, like, Godspeed to the Canadians when they reach the conference finals. Because if that's the avalanche, that's going to be one hell of a tough challenge. But winner of Winnipeg, Montreal plays winner of Colorado Vegas. Like, the way the seeding worked out that you can already – yeah. Get pencil it in. I mean, even if it's Vegas, that is an incredibly tough draw. Like and Vegas is one of the best teams in the league, but the Avalanche are, I think, on a different level. If they if the Avalanche pull it together and win the series, like that's going to be an extremely tough draw. And again, I would love to say, oh yeah, Avs in three, ha ha ha. But <laughs> we just know Montreal's going to go out there and steal two games. And th- and that is the Nordiques versus the Canadians. There's been crazy things to happen between them before. So who is it? Down goes Brown pointed out we're very close. Well, Carolina's kind of screwing up. We're very close to having an all Adams division final four with the Winnipeg Jet. Uh, sorry, the Montreal Canadiens, the Quebec Nordiques, the Hartford Whalers, and the Boston Bruins. We're like right there, but Tampa and their extra seventeen million dollars are screwing it up. Well, I mean, that would be fun, but Tampa not screwing it up or like Tampa screwing it up by not screwing up their own series actually does help Detroit by one additional pick. It's going to be crazy in terms of the Red Wings pick that three of the four divisions went in the exact and only ways possible to maximize Detroit's pick. The only two teams that didn't help Detroit were Colorado and Vegas. Everybody Which, else that moved on, I think, assuming Tampa wins, bumped Detroit up in the in the first round, which is just incredible to think about. The like the long odds for this to happen. Absolutely wild. Now that being said, with my my disdain for the lightning uh, outweighs what I think one spot in the draft is worth. So I am still rooting for the Hartford Whalers to come back and win the next three games, but uh <sighs> Uh, I'm not confident in that. All right. The Winged Wheel Podcast. Welcome. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm mostly Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. I was going to say something else, but I can't break from brand. It was going to be like, I'm the worst golfer imaginable, but (laughs) I won't bore people with those details. You know what, Evan? Like, well and truly piss off with that. Because if you were going to make us... Was it 75 to 90 minutes late for this podcast? The least you could have done was shot a good round. I today I thought maybe I was right handed. 
<laughs> and for all those who don't know, I'm a left-handed golfer. That's how bad it was out there. Like, I don't know. I need like a week off. I need to finish half a half a cheesecake. I don't know. I don't know what it's all about. Um, also, did, I don't have cheesecake, and you're rubbing that in too. Did you guys, since we're on the topic of golf, did you guys see what happened to John Rahm yesterday? Yeah. He lost one point, what was it, $1.6 million or something like that because of a positive COVID test? So he, he had an ace the day before and was on an absolute heater. I think he was leading by four or six at the time. Six. And it, yeah. And <laughs> they let him finish the entire round and then told him he had COVID and had to withdraw. Wait, they let him finish the, they knew before the end of his round he had, what? How, yeah. What? I like, don't know. What if yeah, he gave it to bizarre. his caddy or a fan or so? I know outdoors, it's long odds, but still. I have no idea how that happened or why they wouldn't just let him play the course by himself tomorrow. Like, whatever. Like, we all know that conversation. But yeah, crazy. So if he would have won that tournament, I think the first place prize was 1.675 million bucks. Oh my god. Between that and the uh the Brooksy DeChambeau stuff going on, golf has so much drama. Evan, you were close to being able to do a spin-off podcast. It's true. This is the craziest golf has been in a long time. To be uh, fair, I think one point six million dollars is how much I lost by selling my AMC shares at nineteen dollars. So <laughs> Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> Uh, on this episode of the wing wheel podcast uh we have a lot to talk about uh we'll be chatting more about the red wings uh sixth overall pick and what might come of that as well as uh like we mentioned earlier some movement potentially on the second first overall pick or second first overall second first round pick that the red wings own from the washington capitals uh we have an we have an interview with Catherine silverman um we promised you that with the goalie discussion surrounding Jesper wallstead we'd bring in some pros uh and this is the beginning of that so we had a great conversation with cat last yesterday last yesterday morning um and we got some really good insights from it uh really pumped for you to hear it uh some updates from around the nhl playoffs uh and then international hockey as well uh before jumping into our draft profile and overtime uh but first very quickly i do want to acknowledge the jamie daniels foundation uh, a children's foundation initiative that was established in memory of jamie daniels and founded by jamie's father who you'll know as red wings lead announcer ken daniels and jamie's mother lisa daniels goldman they strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery uh to support them and learn more visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org um, an organization we're very proud to partner with on this podcast all right, uh, the Red Wings are getting some help from the Tampa Bay Lightning, which feels dirty. But if they beat the Carolina Hurricanes, which it looks like they are poised to do as long as they close out the series, Detroit will reach the maximum possible remaining upward movement, I guess, of the Washington first round pick. So it goes up to 23rd officially in the standings, which is effectively the 22nd pick because the Arizona Coyotes are cheaters that got caught. Which is now, great news. One small thing that I would like to do between now and the draft, just for sake. I think we all know by now Arizona's forfeited their pick. So we can just call it the 23rd pick and everybody will understand. Yes. Can we all agree so on that? From now on, we'll call it what it is on the board. 
the 23rd pick, but understand we will be getting the 22nd player in the draft just for the NHL is going to call it the 23rd pick. So it's just going to be easier if us and everybody when discussing it calls it the 23rd pick, which, and that, which is crazy because well, that pick, even if Washington did not make the final four could have still been like 26 or 27. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there's a lot of range on this and, you know, you could have argued, oh, if Washington finished lower in the regular season standings, then it could have been even better. But yeah, sure, whatever. This is pretty close to the best possible scenario entering the playoffs that the Red Wings had for this pick. Um, What was the absolute... Okay, did Minnesota finish ahead of Washington in the regular season or no? No, I don't think so. I can look for you right now. Okay, so then the best this pick could have been was 21. Yeah. Like that's yeah, Minnesota- crazy. It got that close. And the only two teams, assuming Tampa holds on, that did not bump Detroit's pick up a spot was Colorado and Vegas. Like that's insane for everything else to go the way it did. Now, you know, Boston and the Islanders and Tampa winning is not crazy. Uh, Montreal and Winnipeg, you could argue, is. But um, like overall, the way it's shaken down has literally been almost best case Ontario. Um, what Minnesota did finish lower. Uh, so yeah, you're right there. Um, yeah, this is fantastic news. I was honestly expecting something like pick 26 to 28. And yeah. I would have been perfectly happy with that. 20, the 22nd player off the board is massive. Like 23rd overall is huge. That's nine picks before the end of the round. You're getting into players that you liked in the 10 to 14 range. At least one of them will probably be available there. Like that is this draft is a little funny for sure. Um, I think you get less wonky once you get out of the top 10. I think it's a little bit more normal in terms of what you can expect. But the Red Wings are going to have an opportunity to, to I honestly think like this is a year where the Red Wings can draft a relatively speaking top 10 talent. Or they have a good chance to with that second first round pick, depending on who slips, who's underscouted because of the pandemic, all those external factors. It's a prime opportunity. It's funny you mentioned that because I forgot to mention that I finalized, not finalized, but like I've officially got my draft rankings set right now um, up until pick 49. Um, but I, I really hammered down in the first round on breaking it into tiers and I've got a six player tier at the top, a, a second tier, which is six players, a third tier, which is eight players. So that takes us to 20 and I will bet money that three or four of those players from my third tier will be available at the 23rd pick, which is just making me so happy. Okay. Uh, there's going to be no shortage of conversation on what to do with the six pick, but um, a fun little theory that popped up um, stemming mostly from Vancouver and much like previous seasons, Jim Benning is going to provide teams from across the NHL a lot of reasons to speculate. Uh, But it was said that Vancouver is looking for help on the right side on defense. That's a team that has its core players in a competitive window right now. So they can't afford a full-on rebuild. They can't really afford to start halfway through a rebuild. They have to find a way to, Ken Holland smiling somewhere as I say this, retool on the fly. Um, God. What do they, What does Vancouver have? The ninth overall pick? Uh, yeah, I they have the ninth overall so, pick. Yeah. 
is there a conversation here? And this is from Nick. Um, is there a conversation here to trade Philip Hronick in exchange for the contract of Louis Erickson and the ninth overall pick? I think that was the trade. Is there a conversation to be had? Of course there is. Um, would Vancouver do it? Almost certainly not. The only reason I say a thousand, I don't say a hundred percent Vancouver wouldn't do it is because Jim Benning. He's done, he's made a lot of questionable decisions, so I'm not throwing it out of range. Now there's two things working against Detroit here in terms of this hypothetical trade. One, that ninth overall pick is very, very valuable. And I don't think even adding the anchor of Lou Erickson's contract, which I think only has one year left at this point anyway, but they do need to move it. They are in cap hell. I don't think that's enough to make it worth it for the Canucks. And two, Philip Ronick's coming off a very subpar season. So if if we had the same mentality about Philip Ronick Right now, as the league did last summer after his breakout season, it's probably a little more likely to happen, but not that Hronik had a bad year. He had an acceptable year, but the hype train has has cooled, which means that so does trade value. And at the ninth overall pick, there is a solid chance, not a 100% chance, but a solid chance that, you know, uh, Brent Clark, Luke Hughes, Simon Edvinson, one of them sitting there. I wouldn't bet on it but it's not crazy to think that that could happen and if vancouver's in need of a defenseman why would they not just take one and like that's not even to say too there could be defensemen behind those guys that they're huge on because you don't have to go crazy far down the list to get to the carson lamboses of the world so maybe they're big on course and coolman's i don't know i'm just saying it makes sense theoretically. I just don't think the values add up. So if I don't know what else Detroit or sorry, Vancouver needs off the top of my head, but I know depth scoring is always an issue for them. So if we throw in a hypothetically a Robbie Fabry, maybe that gets it done. Um, Cause Vancouver's in win now mode. So the fact that Fabry is a little older probably doesn't sway them, but there would have to be a sweetener from Detroit's end. I just don't know what the right, yeah value is there yeah so for me it's not so much about that specific trade which i actually think is a super interesting proposal for what it's worth it's the idea of one prying away a really good pick from a team that might be in a bind jim benning is going to be fighting for his job here uh well actually he is fighting for his job he nearly lost it this summer um Vancouver really needs to find a way to get back into a competitive window with the core that they have before they they're in somehow more cap hell than they are now. But, and this is stemming from a conversation I had with Adam Loscaris earlier. Um, Eisenman has an incentive here to, and don't get mad at me for suggesting this, move the window back even more for the rebuild, specifically for these next two drafts. If this year's an aberration and Detroit drops back down to the standings once we get normal divisions again, then, you know, this is all a moot point. But if Detroit is hovering around six to ninth or worse lottery odds this year or next year and the season after that, 
Is it out of your ultimate control? Sure. But are you missing out on two prime opportunities to land possible franchise talents in either Wright or Bedard and Michkov? Yeah. And, you know, Eisenman's gone on record to say how valuable winning a draft lottery is to your franchise. So you shift back your window even further by moving Hronik. You open up space to draft a right-handed defenseman with that pick. You make the team a little bit worse for the next two seasons and up your lottery odds. Um, it would be a net gain to move a strong asset. I, I could see opportunities for moving a strong asset now being a net gain for future years. It's a little bit galaxy brained and I know it's going to make piss some people off because the rebuild's been long enough, but that's just kind of my, th- that's the thinking it spurned for me. Well, Hronik's going to turn 24 just after the season starts. So I think three years is the number that most people tend to agree on, or at least pretty close to in times of turnaround on this rebuild. Now that puts Hronik at 27. So if the Red Wings can contend pretty quickly after getting into the playoffs, kind of like Chicago did, then you probably want to keep Rona because he'll, he'll still be at a very valuable age where he'll be very productive still, and he'll be near his peak. If there's any possibility it takes longer than that, then yeah, it's going to be uh, wasted years uh, of Hronik. Um, I don't know if Hronik's old enough yet that he's the guy I take that mentality with, though I think he's still plenty young enough that I don't really consider him to be an older yeah. athlete. I know that's not what you're saying. Um, on another topic, though, I think I've kind of trended towards the, yeah, let's see what we can get for Bertuzzi now. But that's another conversation because uh, it went so well with Mantha. But um, yeah, there, there's definitely something we've been saying for two years now that there's something to be done between Vancouver and Detroit because Detroit's had a flush of cap space. Vancouver's had tons of picks and prospects. They've been in cap hell the whole time. I remember we us proposing trades that involved Andreas Athanasiu. So like, this is not new. Um, but yeah, I don't. I'll summarize by saying I'll be shocked if it involves uh, the ninth overall pick. I think a 2022 pick is more likely, and I would also say that's more valuable. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I don't think Vancouver is going to bottom out quite as hard as everybody thinks, but I don't also don't see them being a playoff team. So it's another ball on the hopper for whatever that's worth. But keep in mind, this is with the new draft lottery rules next year so i think next season vancouver's a fringe playoff team because they don't play in a great division uh almost have to jog my memory what the hell that division looks like (laughs) which means vancouver could win the lottery but still doesn't end up with the shane wright or brad lambert picks so it's worth keeping that in the back of your mind but still even if they jump from like 14 to four it's still better than taking ninth overall this year but then the other reality is it's just pick 14 which isn't a bad thing but they play in a shitty division so that could be like pick 21 like it's a lot of hypotheticals to run through and it's all worth factoring in but it's me humoring something that i don't think is going to happen ultimately that's what we do though on this podcast Yes, and that's why I entertained it. Or it will happen <laughs> 15 minutes after Ryan goes to edit and post. post oh, it. dude. And then Ryan will call us frantically saying we need to have an emergency podcast. And I'm like, sorry, man, I'm out on the golf course again. 
Oh, is that what? Are we doing real today? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I totally agree with both of you. Like, I don't know. I just find it very hard for a team to tr- to tr- trade away a top ten pick unless they're getting a king's ransom back. But if there's anybody you could you could probably swindle, it's it's Jim Benning. So yeah. Obviously, there'll be conversations had. Just like there's always conversations about the first overall pick, um, whether that's true or not. Um, but something coming to fruition takes a lot more than just talking about it. So, could it happen? Yeah, totally. From all the reasons you guys just listed, but I don't know. It just seems really unlikely to me. And it is yeah. worth noting. That Vancouver has been one of the very few teams in the league to be involved in the last 10 years in a trade where the, where a top 10 pick was moved, except they were receiving the ninth overall pick, uh, when they traded Corey Schneider and they would know that worked out very well for them because with that pick, they took their current captain, Bo Horvat. So if anybody knows the value of trading for a top 10 pick it's the canucks all right i am going to wrap this point up because i think it's high time that we stop trying to speculate uh, about what jim benning is going to do with his time and start listening to someone who uh, knows a lot about something that's useful to this podcast which is goaltending and the merits of drafting a goaltender high uh, what it's like to scout a goaltender and develop a goaltender so um, Kat Silverman uh, gave us a lot of great insights um, it's fun to hear the nuanced and difficult conversation that is goaltending so we really hope you enjoyed the interview uh, right now Kat Silverman so we have a habit on this pod of always saying uh, or calling out when we don't exactly uh, know the most about whatever we're talking about in the top or in the theme of that for the last little while has been goalies. So uh, much to Brad's dismay, uh, we have decided to bring on some goalie experts. We are joined by Catherine Silverman. Uh, Kat is from In Goal Magazine, uh, three cheers for goaltender interference podcast, and one of the best follows on Twitter, especially related to everything uh, netminders. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, before I throw to Evan to start us off, I would just like to note, Brad has been the biggest uh, proponent for not drafting a goalie six overall and has shot down Jesper Wallstedt more firmly than Evan and I. So I just want you to have that pretext before getting into okay. this interview. All right, Where's Evan, that bus that you just threw me under? <laughs> <laughs> it kept driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have one question and I have to leave very soon. So I need to know the answer. In your Twitter bio, it says... Hot dog enthusiast. What goes on a hot dog? That's all I need to know. Oh, I don't want to make anyone angry, but it's it's ketchup and mustard. Okay, we can we can continue like one little one little stripe of each. Yeah, like the cartoon, right? Like a cartoon, exactly. Yeah, you you played to both bases. That's a that's a good answer. Um. Not making anyone angry is not really the mo of this podcast. So you're already coming out ahead of all three hosts here. Good, good. <laughs> um, so on the theme of goaltending and us not knowing exactly, you know, what goes into it, we've always found that scouting goaltenders specifically is, is extremely difficult. Um, and maybe describing what qualities to look for, we don't have the same depth of knowledge or granularity as we do with skaters. What are some things that the average uh, hockey fan who maybe doesn't know the intricacies of the position can look for uh, when scouting a goalie? 
Um, that's, that's tough because a lot of times it's not just the lack of info that we have on what makes a good goaltender. It's the variance, especially when we're scouting in, in reference to the draft. You know, we have a lot of guys who play in Russia and play at the KHL level or play at the MHL level. And then we have guys who play in Sweden. Um, I know we have one in particular you guys mentioned we might talk about, um, but even within Sweden, Finland, uh, there's, there's multiple levels that they play at, not just because they're not as good, but because there aren't the available spots. And then in North America, you know, you, you can't play in the major juniors if you want to play college and you can't play overseas if you don't have the right transfer agreement. And so a lot of these guys are playing behind vastly different skill sets and behind vastly different talent levels. And so it's kind of tricky to sort of look at it as, oh, you they need to do this or they need to be able to stop this because a lot of them won't face the same types of shots and the same quality of defense. But usually looking for progression and consistency from game to game when you're watching a goaltender from a drafting perspective and looking at numbers consistency. You know, if a guy's putting up an 890 save percentage over in the SHL somewhere, not always a sign that he's terrible. It could be a sign that he plays for a team that really needs to drop from the SHL down to hockey Elspenskin. And But if he's putting up consistent numbers and they're getting a little bit better as he goes along, or his goals against average is much lower than some of the other guys who have a similar save percentage within the same league, then chances are his numbers are kind of kind of betraying him a little bit. And when it comes to actually watching those goaltenders, if it looks like they're making new and unique mistakes during every game, you know, you see them make a really, really wild diving save and just totally miss the puck and in one game and then the next game, it looks like they're, they're just not getting on angle. You know, they're facing one direction and the puck crosses the center line and comes in behind them. That's, that's usually a sign that there's a little bit of consistency work that needs to be done there. Um, but it's, it's tough. It really is. Even, I think it's probably the number one position for just admittance that we don't really have a secure set of parameters for what what makes a goaltender really look like they're going to make it in the long run. Well, that's almost a perfect segue into the grand conversation we've been having on this podcast for a while now, which is drafting philosophy with goalies, because this is the third year in a row. The Red Wings first uh, round pick is going to be the center of uh, the goalie mock drafts. It was a night a couple of years ago, Askarov last year. And now we're having all the same conversations with Wallstat. But just on the in the big picture with philosophy, because you mentioned that from league to league, uh, team to team, there's a lot of variance and a lot of factors that go into goalie, which to me leads to believe that you can't always fully trust where or what you're getting when you draft a goalie, especially at such a young age. So you know, some people say just grab the best goalies you can as high as you can and, and hope it works out. Other people say don't draft a goalie too late because, like you said, it could be a goalie with an 850 save percentage and a four GAA, but he's playing behind a garbage team and he ends up being a home run. So in terms of overall philosophy and drafting goalies, where do you fall on the spectrum? Um, 
not to not to pander to both sides, but I, I think it depends a lot on the available scouting talent within the team and on what sort of goaltending development system they have. Like I feel a lot more confident that if, for example, the Columbus Blue Jackets draft a guy a little bit higher or the New York Rangers, the New York Islanders, these guys that have uh, Mitch Korn, Benoit Lair, uh with the with the red or with the blue jackets, excuse me, it's a little unique because it's not necessarily their goaltending coaching, it's their scouting. They have some really good scouts in place. They actually uh they have Nicholas Backstrom of the former Minnesota Wild goaltender actually has been helping them scout and at least oversee some of their goaltending over in Europe over the last few years. So teams like that I'm a little more confident if they do draft higher that okay, the guys who are drafting are in constant communication with someone who number one knows what they're looking at. Number two has a pretty clear picture of how they're going to fit into the team's hierarchical structure. Um, then there are a couple other teams who I, I won't necessarily throw under the bus on the podcast. Um, but I think the podcast covers one of them every episode um, that their scouting, <laughs> their scouting systems a little bit, less clear and some of the guys that these teams have drafted over the years have been a little a little bit of an eyebrow raiser like for example I know Detroit at the 2018 draft drafted a couple overage goalies who looked like they were going to be pretty immediately ready to play pro but looked like their ceiling wasn't very high and so it's a little harder to be confident that a team like that is going to necessarily find the right goal to like a Spencer Knight versus with no disrespect to Jack Campbell versus a Jack Campbell who needed to have a complete change of scenery, intensive game restructuring and like an absurd amount of patience to get him to the point where he was someone who looked like he was supposed to be a high first round draft pick. So that's really interesting to hear because um, I think that, that tracks a lot with what Red Wings fans know to be Detroit's draft strategy, which is just throw a couple of darts every draft and one's bound to hit. <laughs> and, you know, we've kind of accepted that for a long time. And that's probably a, a little bit cheap and lazy because um, it's more just, you know, capitulating to the amount of uncertainty there is around goalies. And unless you're one of those teams that you name that has like a really robust scouting or development program or both, uh, I guess you just have to deal with that level of uncertainty. The only thing in my mind that would make it then worth it to take a risk on the goal in the top 10 is how certain are you about this guy? How above uh, and beyond, how head and shoulders above the rest is Jesper Wallstedt? So putting you on the spot, Kat, how much does Wallstedt stand out among the crowd where if you were you know, the GM for a team that was very average in terms of drafting goaltenders, how comfortable would you feel taking him? Not, not super comfortable. Um just because we look at the variance in these teams that don't draft goaltenders super well and not, not to put the Red Wings on the spot, I'll sort of throw it over to, to the Western Conference. I think, uh, I think the Edmonton Oilers are a perfect example of a team that whatever break in the chain of communication and scouting they have, um, their goaltending strategy over the last three years has been Mike Smith, which is a super fascinating choice um, and not in a super good way. And then 
their drafting of goalies hasn't been super strong and the environment for their developing goalies hasn't been super strong. Um, so they have guys like Stuart Skinner, who just seems to be stalling out a little bit. Uh, Laurent Brissois, when he was with them, seems to stall out pretty heavily and had to once again have that change of scenery. So a team like that, I'd say you can have a Spencer Knight and I still wouldn't be super confident that he'd thrive there. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case with Detroit because they do seem to have at the pro level, at least um, a pretty robust coaching department, right? They seem to have at least a good enough department that they, they haven't taken massive steps backwards other than the fact that they went from having for the Red Wings, a generationally sound goaltender in Jimmy Howard to having guys who are kind of placeholders right now, um, which is not to to insult Jonathan Bernier in any way. <laughs> but, but no, I think uh, the Red Wings, I don't think they'd shoot themselves in the foot doing something like that, you know, drafting a guy like Jesper Wallstead. But it, it's not necessarily the team that I think is the best primed to to make that kind of pick per se so when we were doing we were doing a live stream for the draft lottery and we had uh one of our friends on prashant Iyer um to guest host with us on that and one of the objections i have personally with the goalie in the top 10 isn't just about the the variance and the risk associated with drafting a goalie in the first round but also the development and the cap implications long term, but without getting into the weeds on that one point he brought up though, that I thought was super interesting is he thinks teams lose value when they draft a goalie because they let them sit for way too long before they bring them in. And by the time they're in the league, they're 23, 24, 25 years old. They're already on their second, possibly third contract. You have wasted, not wasted, but you've had them for six, seven years and got no value out of them at the NHL level. Now you look at what Florida is doing with Spencer Knight. He's playing critical games. They only drafted him a couple of years ago. Do you need a special goalie to be able to hop into the lineup in two or three years? Or is this just an overarching problem in the NHL of teams sitting on uh, promising young goalies for way too long? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, number one, I think uh, it, it does take a special goalie to get drafted in 2018, 2019, and then essentially make their NHL debut within a two-year window. I think that's that's not a thing that, number one, would happen very often, and number two, should. Um, but it's we do, we do see goaltenders sit a little longer than maybe they should at the AHL level um, because of the, the availability of spots. But... Teams still need to sign those guys at the AHL level anyway, right? And so if you don't draft the goalies, sometimes there's there's available talent left in the free agent market for sure. Um, I think that's going to be going away, though, as time goes on and teams start actually hiring goaltending scouts. Uh, there are still teams that don't, which I think is crazy, but there are teams that truly do throw darts at the wall and say, oh, hopefully this guy's good. And then there are ones who have multiple goaltending scouts specifically on their payroll and are actually finding guys who 
Like, I think the Arizona Coyotes have done a pretty solid job with that. Um, Aiden Hill got drafted and I think it was 2014, something like that. 2014, 2013 started making NHL appearances within, I think it was two years of making it to the AHL and only limited appearances, but has been growing in those. Um, Ivan Prosvitov should be doing the same thing here in the next year or two. Um, they haven't had a ton of those outright misses just because they do. They have two goaltending scouts, one of them that works overall and one of them that works specifically in Europe. And then they have both a development and an NHL goalie coach who work with their scouting department and say, this is the system we've been running. This is what will work. This is what won't work. These are the types of guys we would need. Um, see if you can find us some. And as teams start to do that, start to hire those scouts, it's going to be harder to find those good goaltenders on the free agent market without overpaying for them. And I think that that's going to be where teams will start to lose value if they really dig in their heels and say, well, we can find them when they become good. It'll be fine. Um, They won't find them when they become good because they're going to go to the teams that have done their due diligence ahead of time and given those guys a chance to develop where they can see them because there is, there is some benefit to having these guys develop in the AHL rather than in Europe because they're playing within the same system that they'll be playing in hypothetically when they, when they do reach the NHL with the team. So that actually um, pretty much answered my next question, which was going to be about the, you know, develop a franchise goalie running the risk of having to pay him big bucks later as opposed to finding a cheaper solution on the market. So you find you, you see that as a waning window. Like that's something that's just a result of, you know, an inefficiency, so so to speak, in, in how teams scout and draft goalies. So you think that'll go away in the next however long? Yeah, I think I think we're already getting closer to it with a with a few notable outliers, obviously. I think uh I think nobody's defending the Sergei Bobrovsky contract as being a home run for the team that signed it. But once again, with, with the Coyotes, they've had Auntie Ranta and Darcy Kemper under contract for, I think it's about three mil per. Um, and that's, that's two guys who had nine twenty save percentages more or less over the last three to four years with the team. Um, we have teams like, I think, uh, I think that the New York Islanders, did a fantastic job signing Semin Varlamov to what four mil per something like that. Um, the Blackhawks did it with Robin Lehner when they signed him for a four million dollar deal. Um, we're seeing it more and more, and part of it was almost that teams were treating goaltenders like baseball treats pitchers, where they don't get paid and don't get paid until they've more than proven themselves, and then it's almost like they got apology contracts, like. We underpaid you for four years. Here, take our money now. And I think that's an inefficient way to sign athletes. Um, but it, I think it is starting to level out a little bit there. And, but I also, on the other hand, I do think that goaltenders should be making a little bit more money because they have been a little bit underpaid just based on the uncertainty of teams not knowing how to pick out which guys are going to last long-term. And so they they do underpay a lot of goaltenders until they randomly overpay guys. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, – I certainly won't advocate for paying them less. <laughs> I think they should – I think they should all make millions of dollars. But, uh, no, I think, I think we're going to stop seeing teams signing 
bizarrely high contracts to guys who are past their prime and then bizarrely low contracts to guys who really they should have locked up earlier. So I think it's worth noting in in all transparency here, one of the big talking points uh, surrounding drafting a goalie so high is if you're drafting them that high, they're going to be or you would want them to be, you know, a phenom goalie for you, a top 10 goalie in the league, at which point the comparisons that are drawn in are the Vasilevskis, the Price, the Bobrovsky contracts. And so what you're saying is not maybe not straw man, but those are more outliers now in that with this tapering off of, of or leveling out of, of goalie contracts, it maybe shouldn't be so much of a fear their second or third contract with the team. So you have a bigger window having that goalie as your franchise goaltender and a starting goalie for the team without crushing your cap. Yeah, I think it, it shouldn't be. Um, there's also this weird division of money within, within the salary cap. Uh, I think that a lot of teams for a while weren't leaving Oh, excuse me, a lot of money for goaltenders, which I find super strange because we've seen we've seen what happens to teams who don't have not even good goaltending, but consistent goaltending. Uh, we look at what happened with Mike Smith over the two years prior to this one. We look at what happened with uh, the San Jose Sharks. Um, they banked on Martin Jones figuring it out year after year after year. But yeah, we see these teams that don't get consistent goaltending and it it doesn't work out for them. And there are teams that tried to cut corners with costs. You know, they said, oh well we'll just go with uh we'll go with Martin Jones or we'll we'll deal away Marc Andre Fleury and then not not have a solid replacement for him. Um and I think that does hurt teams a little bit. Especially when they see not not as much with the the penguins there, but teams that lose guys in free agency because they weren't willing to pay them more. And I think that what happened with Vancouver where they lost Jacob Markstrom, who could have been a very solid tandem with Thatcher Demko for another year or two there. That's, that's a perfect example. Um, You know, teams were underpaying guys for so long that some of them said, well, fine, I'm going to go where, where they'll overpay me a little bit and intentionally lost out on talent by doing that too. Uh, for the record, that wasn't my background. I was actually researching something on the Penguins okay. this morning. So, so I was just like, oh, speaking of teams like, that got undone by goaltending. <laughs> um, but no, because contract structure for goalies has been really fascinating to me because generally from what I've noticed, goalies tend to get bridge contracts more than players do, even though it's becoming far more than norm with players. But when you look at some of the best goalie contracts in the league, it was off of teams that took I don't want to say risks, but essentially took risks and signed their guy long term before he was fully proven. And and you look at two of the best overall contracts in the NHL right right now in my mind are Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg and John Gibson in Anaheim, who signed for about six million each, give or take, long term when they were still fairly unproven. Do we know enough about goalies, generally speaking? I know it's a case by case basis to be able to take those kind of gambles with more frequency and maybe do we start see teams doing that going so hypothetically the Red Wings draft Wallstead they have him for a few years and they're like yeah this is our guy we're going to sign him seven by seven now get it out of the way we don't want to pay him 11 million down the road should teams be doing that more than they are or is the risk still too great and you'd still take the bridge approach for most of these guys 
Um, in in theory, yeah, I'd, I'd start taking the risk with more of them. But I think teams have to have a consistent play management structure in place before they're willing to do that. Um, because that's, that's, I think, what's saved both Anaheim and Winnipeg there is especially with Anaheim. They brought in Ryan Miller, who obviously over the final years that he was there, wasn't able to handle as many of the games, but did manage to handle big chunks of the workload for an unfortunately very injury prone John Gibson for a while there. Um, we saw kind of the same thing with uh, Colorado did it with uh, Samian Varlamov and uh, they had Calvin Pickard do it. Now they have Philip Grubauer and unfortunately the guy that they banked on to help them manage that workload for Grubauer uh, ended up getting hurt and didn't play the entire season. But, you know, that's teams are trying to do that uh, for the most part. But I think Toronto is a perfect example of a team that even if they had signed the most team-friendly contract in the world for Frederick Anderson, which I would argue he has a pretty team-friendly contract. Um, they didn't manage the workload, and that's almost what you see burn a team more than anything else, is they overwork a goaltender who then doesn't doesn't really get a chance to rest properly, doesn't get a chance to develop properly, and then they either get injured or they start letting bad habits creep back in. Um the Penguins with Matt Murray. I think they did a, they did him a major disservice there. Um, and then Ottawa signed him to a contract based off of, I think, hopes and dreams. Um, <laughs> and I think you have to have that, that commitment to giving the goaltender proper workload management in order to sign that contract from an early age, you know, to do the John Gibson or the Connor Hellebeck kind of pay structure. Um, but if teams can can figure out how to do that, can figure out how to actually have two goaltenders that they can convince their head coach to trust, I think that's, that's a very reasonable way to, to start at least looking at the pay structure moving forward. So one question to close out here, Kat. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say what would you do if you were Steve Eisman, but um, <laughs> <laughs> which I have a habit of doing. Um Let's say the, the Red Wings do draft Wallstead. What kind of advice would you give to Red Wings fans in terms of what they can expect in terms of a timeline, you know, measures for success? What does this look like uh, for a, a good six overall pick panning out for the Red Wings? Um, so for starters, if I was if I was Steve Eiserman, um, I would have looked at that goaltending draft class last year and taken advantage of it, which he didn't. Um wow. So I think that already kind of shot himself in the foot there. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think the Red Wings would, they, they probably thrive drafting Wallstead. And I think they could probably bring him over fairly quickly. Not, not immediately, but more than anything, I think they, I think they have so many other holes in their lineup right now. And I don't love the goaltending pool that they have to work with overall. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily the guy that I would draft for them unless they really commit to adding more around him to not just 
adding more around him on defense and whatnot, but within their goaltending depth depth chart, because that's that's not a team whose depth chart I'm I'm enamored with. Um, and I think if you bring in a guy like Wallstead and and don't have a supporting cast around him in terms of backup and other guys in the AHL to learn from and to share the workload with, uh, you you essentially diminish your own value there. It's like it's like buying a buying a Lamborghini and opting not to change the oil. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, that is incredibly interesting and very insightful. And I would love to have said that you, you know, signed and sealed this discussion and you, uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, you gave us a lot of really quality information on this. Um, Brad, any final notes before we wrap up here? I, I'm just happy that uh, for the most part, the person who knows way more about goaltending than I is roughly on the same page as me. So I'll take it as a good day. <laughs> You know, Kat, we were friends uh, to start, but now you've put Brad in a good mood, which is uh, something we're not fans of doing on this podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, Kat Silverman, guys, at Kat M. Silverman on Twitter. Uh, go give her a follow uh, in Goal Magazine and three cheers for Goaltender Interference Podcast. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed that interview, and I hope you either learned something or got a lot more confused about what Detroit should do with their sixth overall pick. Uh, at certain points in the interview, I was either swayed one way or the other before finally landing on this is a complicated, nuanced topic, and I don't pretend to think that it's uh, black and white. So it's it's nice to know that there isn't an easy answer to it. My two big takeaways from that uh, 20-30 minute interview uh, well, I had three takeaways. One, I really wish we recorded the entire two hours we were talking with her because, oh, she had some great A stories about her children. Uh, two, she brought up so many points that hadn't even been considered yet. Like, who would have, who pieces together, well, yeah, if a team is really good at developing goalies, of course they should take a goalie. Is Detroit good at developing goalies? Track record says no. And three, I bet going into that interview that 90% of you didn't think the goalie expert would side with me. Not, I don't know. Not completely side, but when it came push to shove, would you take him at six? The answer is probably not. I'm counting that as a win. <laughs> so so what it falls on is, are you good at scouting goalies? Which for Detroit, obviously the answer here seems to be no. They haven't really had a good one since come th up through the draft since Mrazek. Um, that's turned into a regular NHLer. And two, are you good at creating a system, a pro system for goalies to thrive? And I think the answer for that is yes. Jimmy Howard was good as long as Jimmy Howard was athletically able. Jonathan Bernier is good right now. And Jonathan Bernier was not always this good in his career. I think... There is something to be said about the way Detroit supports its goalies at the pro level. At the, I'm not even going to say the pro level. I'm going to get more specific and say the NHL level. Because what the current goaltending coaches did to Jonathan Bernier's career is wonderful. And they seem to turn Thomas Grace around in a pretty big hurry this year. And Jimmy Howard was great forever. Oh. <laughs> Philip Larson struggled in the AHL. They can't seem to keep a goalie there. Caden Fulcher hasn't really progressed at all. I mean, everything's below though. 
Is it, it could be both. Pro, it, yeah, yeah. It honestly could be both. It could be one or the other, but getting to Kat's point, it doesn't matter. If you're not good at any one of those things, you can't have confidence in it. Can you point to poor drafting, poor development? Probably. Do we know which one it is for sure? No, but I think we can all agree one of them's doing poorly because look at what's been going on. So, yeah, I'm... Um, God, that like, cause I'm a fan of like, let's take a pretty good goalie in the second or third round with the abundance of picks this year. But even now I'm gun shy on that. <laughs> it's, I think the one takeaway that really made me feel better about it. If, if the Red Wings do take the swing or whatever team takes a swing. And this is something that makes a lot of sense to me is the con, the, the conversation about contracts and how, you know, there's a lot of information still undiscovered about goalies at the scouting level, but even in how you fit them into the modern salary cap, and that's still working its way in. It's kind of lagging behind, you know, proper valuations for skaters. But yeah, if goalie contracts become a lot more reasonable and GMs become a lot better at assessing that and pro scouts become a lot better at assessing what goalies are worth it, then you're not going to, you don't have to be so afraid of the Carey Price contract, the Sergei Bobrovsky contract. Also, again, bring up the Connor Hellebuck contract. You bring up, you know, the aggressive early contract to try to, to mitigate a higher future deal. I'm not so concerned about the timeline of a goalie's viability. So for me, that was a, I don't want to make it a, a for and against. I don't, I don't really think it's a push pull kind of thing. I think it's just really, really compl- complicated, but that was one that kind of dissuaded a lot of very prevalent fears for people who, who are worried about drafting a top goalie and then paying them a lot of money real soon. Yeah, the the my ultimate takeaway was if the Red Wings draft Wallstead, there is a path for that to be very successful and a more I'll say a more likely path than I would have thought given how young goalies and how you can handle them or how how young goalies can pan out and how you handle them. But where it pulled me back was, yeah, are the Red Wings the team to do that? The Final thought on this before moving on here um, is that part of the contract talk, you know what one thing we're missing is? Steve Eisenman's the GM of the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, that's and fair. Ste- yeah. And that's not even like, I'm not even like joking and memeing like how we would like say like, oh, he can do no wrong. No, legitimately, like Steve Eisenman is known for getting the most team-friendly contracts possible to the point where it pisses off other fans. We have been other fans multiple times. We have, we've been hurt by the 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 late Ken Holland era UFA contracts. And we, I think we carry a lot of that anxiety with us, but I don't see Steve Eisenman mismanaging an asset if a goalie is a top end goalie. Anyways, nice little uh, um, cushion to fall on. Updates from across the NHL: uh, Montreal up three nothing against Winnipeg, like we mentioned. Um, you know what? Good for them. Like I said before, unironically, all the credit to Carey Price. Uh, Ducharme for his coaching abilities. Yes, they've run into... Well, I, I don't think the Leafs were an easy team to beat, first of all. I don't think that was an easy draw. And even if Winnipeg wasn't the most strong second-round opponent, they just beat Edmonton. And that they have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, so good for them. Um, if they're going to have a very tough draw in the second round, speaking of which, the Avalanche and the Golden Knights are tied 1-1 as we record at the end of the first. Colorado's up 2-1 in that series. Uh, Islanders and Bruins, which is a fantastic series, is tied 2-2. And then Tampa Bay, uh, Carolina, 
which again, another phenomenal series. Tampa Bay is up 3-1 there, which is good for Red Wings fans on paper, but emotionally maybe not. Three of these series are excellent. The The Canadian Division series, honestly, to me, is not is the least fun hockey to watch of the four. Every take out the games five, six, and seven from Toronto, Montreal, the entire North Division playoffs have sucked. Like Winnipeg's on the verge of getting swept, so there's not much of a competition here. Winnipeg swept Edmonton in the first round. Now that had a handful of overtime games, which made it a little more fun. But again, in a sweep, you don't have the you have those high drama moments, but you don't have those super high drama games. The first four games of the Montreal Toronto series were terrible. Thankfully, those last three made up for it. But yeah, I I was of the mindset all year that the North Division wasn't the weakest division in the NHL. I thought the Central was just because of how bad the bottom of that division was. I apologize to everybody I argued with on that point. I concede you were all right. Yes, the North is by far the weakest division this year. And just the quality of the hockey in the playoffs proves it. The the one team that I thought we all could agree was very good in that division went out in the first round. And the quality of hockey has been garbage. Meanwhile, Carolina, Nashville, Tampa, Florida gave us, and now Carolina, Tampa Bay are giving us some of the best hockey we've seen in a long, long time outside of Colorado, Vegas, because that's just pure cocaine for your eyeballs. Um, yeah. I was I was a thousand percent wrong. That division was a dumpster fire. Yeah, I was watching and I was like, I cannot believe that that's the crowd that had the right take in the end. And not like no insult. I just thought like I thought it was simple and reductive. But it turns out, hey, I, at least by what we can see so far, it was true. Um, Double IHF World Championship. It's not always the most fun tournament to talk about. I personally am not like a huge fan especially in years like this where you don't get a lot of NHLers going, but it is fun because the Red Wings have a couple players there <laughs> in Troy Stetcher and Moritz Seider. Um, Moritz Seider uh, and the Germans ultimately failing in the semis and then losing the bronze medal game. But Moritz Seider was named to the um, all-star tournament or the tournament all-star team, I should say, which is a big accomplishment. Um Canada and Troy Stetcher ended up taking gold, being the first team to ever lose three games. Their They're its first, first three, three games of the tournament. Yeah. And then I think they lost four games overall and they still won. Like, it's not just that they lost the first three games of the tournament. I mean, they lost to the States, but they didn't just lose to the States. They got stomped by the States. It was like 5-1 or something like that. And then their other two losses, and with all due respect to Mo Sider, their other two losses were Germany and Latvia. We assumed their tournament was done. And then it came down to the last day of the round robin and Team Canada needed a billion results to go exactly their way just to get in the quarterfinals. And all the games that day broke the exact way Canada needed to get in the quarterfinals. And then they beat Russia in overtime. Uh, Overtime goal, possibly the goal of the tournament. Troy Stetcher going between his own legs. Oh, back my in God. Unbelievable. F filthy. Goal of the tournament. Unbelievable. And then they beat the States in the semis, and then they beat the Finns in overtime to win the tournament. Now, it's easy to say Canada winning a gold medal isn't that crazy. 
And in history, it's not. The tournament MVP was from Team Canada and was Andrew Mangiapane. Like, that's the quality of player Team Canada had. Uh, one of Their two leading defensemen for ice time was Troy Stetcher and Owen Power. And they still won the goal. It was crazy. This tournament was the ultimate silly season. Just Kazakhstan winning games, Latvia beating Canada, Canada still winning the gold, Germany going to the bronze medal game. A 20-year-old defenseman making the all-star team. Like, just nuts. In fairness, I think the States and a lot of other teams had the same level of, we don't have guys coming. Like, Abdul Kader was the captain of the States. No, yeah, yeah. It was... Like, it's not like Canada showed up and dom- dummied them. Like, the European countries had better turnout from their most pom- prominent players, but obviously their most prominent players aren't Sidney Crosby, Dylan Larkin, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a very overall evenly matched tournament, and it produced the chaos that you would have hoped looking at those rosters. Yeah, ultimately, we got fun hockey, which was a good takeaway. Um Okay, I know, Brad, you want to litigate the Shifley hit, but we don't have time for that today, maybe in a future episode. What we do have time for is our NHL draft prospect profile, who on this episode will be, we're going to get away from the top 10 here, uh, Samu Tuomala from Karpat in Finland, uh, the smallish, yeah, smallish, speedy winger. Brad, take us away. Ah, Timu Polkinen 2.0. Just kidding. Kind of. So this guy is a late first to mid second round projection on most of the rankings I've seen. And I know we've had many conversations in previous years about draft philosophy when you get deeper into the draft. And my philosophy has always been look for a trait, look for something special special in a prospect this late because you don't find that all that often and then build around it you can teach certain players certain parts of the game if they have a natural ability that you can use consistently and offensively in this case for tuamala it's his shot shooters shoot and this guy is amongst the best in the draft and he's a righty too which if you want to make that specific note for the red wings he's a small right-handed shot lethal shooter quick release he's a great puck handler great skater right now his issue seems to be he lacks the top gear that it looks like he should have he doesn't drive the middle enough He sometimes plays too passive of a game and he tends to get trapped on the perimeter. Now, you can play on the perimeter, especially if you have his shot, if you also are a really good playmaker. And he's got good passing ability, but obviously that's not the strength of his game. And it's not good enough for him to solely live on the perimeter. Like a guy like Jonathan Berger and his playmaking ability is so elite. If he never goes to the middle of the ice, he's still going to have a positive impact on the game. That's not tuamala he can score from there and he can make some good passes from there but he really really needs to get that extra drive to his game but here's the thing that's just a mentality thing you can coach that these are the things i look for he's got good speed he's aggressive when he has the puck he has great hands and an unbelievable shot for someone who's probably not going until the second round 
That is a hell of a starting point for a prospect. So I'm not saying everything is going to go right for him, especially at 5'10", 5'11", however tall he is. But if, if you want to take a swing on a guy later in the draft, this is a prime target. Yeah, the I think that last point you made is really what makes it more attractive for me is that I don't view him as an uh, as a 23rd overall pick. I don't I'm not confident enough really to place him there quite yet. I know you might have him closer to that range, but if you start looking at this guy as a second round pick, yeah, like you have that kind of shot and that ability to snipe and you've demonstrated that kind of speed and skating ability, those two things alone make you a very, very attractive second round pick, not to count the rest of your game. The interesting part about Tuomala for me is that parts of his game that have been criticized, you know, people say the defensive effort, I can see that. I can see it, but then also if you look at different, you know, viewings or you look at different scouting reports, that seems to be something that wasn't an issue before. Or, you know, the effort part of it, it's not that he's lazy or like a bum, but doesn't always use his top speed or his top gear that he's displayed before. It's just a little funny that sometimes he doesn't all put doesn't put it all together. And I don't quite know what to make of it. But you're right, Brad. If that's something that can just be coached, then that is your opportunity to find really good value much lower than you probably should have. He's an attractive prospect for me. If you're, if two of your really, really good traits are your shooting and your skating, and some of your other traits are very coachable or, or just, you know, you have to work into the right system or you're just like, again, he's a kid, right? He's 5'10", 174. That's literally my size. He builds his frame a little better. He, you know, grows into a man, solidifies, plays pro hockey, plays against like grown men a little bit more. I think he had a short stint in Liga this year. Yeah, I'm not going to say 100%. Like we're not talking about a top 10 draft pick here, but that could be something that that lands in the second round. I, I don't think I'll, I'll have the confidence to take him in the first round if I'm Detroit with that second pick that they have. But second round, I'll definitely start to look at him. Well, you look at, where would a guy like this slot into your lineup and how comfortable do I think he's going to be a, a top six forward in the NHL? Probably not. Um, he could be a guy that like spot fills for injuries and, and probably be able to do it competently, but he's probably a guy who can bring a lot of energy and scoring depth when he gets really going on your third line. But his shot's good enough. He can play the left half wall on either of your power play units. Like, you know, we talked Michael Rasmussen when we drafted him. Hey, you know, the guy's probably a third liner, but he could be an elite weapon on your power play. We were saying that about a guy that we picked at ninth overall. Now, that wasn't a great pick, but still, that was the scouting report. Now we're saying about this the same thing about a guy who could go in the second round. So, not saying if uh, he, he is my pick at 23 or 38 or whatever their second round pick is, but... If he's still there at 38, he's got to be very, very high on my list at that point. Kind of seems like people have him at the later, like the 20 and up, and then somewhere into the second round uh, out of people's consensus rankings or whatever you want to call them. Um, Yeah, he looks like he's a guy who just shoots in volume. So I guess that's never really a bad thing to have um people were making notes of his work ethic which there's the the steve eiserman trait right there um he looks like an interesting prospect i i think you'd probably hope like he could play a third line scoring winger that 
it maybe if all the stars aligned, he could play a second wing or a second line wing. Um, yeah, I, I like him just for all the things you guys said. Um, but uh, everyone says he's got decent skating, needs some work defensively. Great, good shot, good elusive shot. Um, so, I mean, if you get a guy like that in the second round at some point, that seems like a great value pick. And uh, for what it's worth, and I should start doing this more, um, it, it'll be a little more relevant once we get outside the top 10, but I keep an aggregate of rankings going where I take uh, the rankings from seven or eight different high profile ranking sites and people and average them out. So right now for what it's worth Tuamala falls 34th on that aggregate ranking. So that will kind of give you an idea of his range and I'll, I'll remind me to keep you guys updated on that. Every time we do a prospect profile, who's not a top 10 pick. So it gives you guys a little better context. The only slight concern I have, well, it's not really a concern. He only played five games in the Finnish, what's their top league, SM Liga or something like that. Liga, yeah. And he had no points at all. So, you know, if you're going to be, he's still ultra, ultra young, so I'm not totally worried about that. But putting up donuts isn't, isn't the greatest thing of all time. Very small gripe. All right. Uh, Samu Tuomala, that is his quick prospect profile for today. Again, we're going to be pumping these out uh, pretty much every episode leading up until the draft. Um, I'll start posting them again individually on YouTube as well on its own playlist. Um, Okay, let's jump into overtime here. We have uh, a few questions to get through. We're going to start out with uh, our Patreon supporters uh because they are incredible people and we love them dearly and they deserve all the nice things in the world uh starting with clint uh benish says we're moving to due to a new job and there's no hockey leagues for my son to play in yay middle of illinois son wants to keep playing and the only option is roller hockey but no leagues question i'm looking for a solid goal that won't break the bank i saw the easy goal on pure hockey with the backdrop if you had any experience with that setup what do you suggest also pucks or balls for asphalt play um don't use rubber pucks on asphalt. They will slide for garbage. Um, for asphalt, you probably want a green biscuit for slide. Uh, get the green biscuit snipe if he's going to be shooting it a lot. The nets are a dime a dozen. Just get something with uh, at least a one and a half inch metal pipe or else it's just going to blow up on you. Uh, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong says, bring me Nolan Patrick. That is, I think, my favorite name so far just because it's so fun to say. <laughs> Nolan Patrick, that is. Ryan Hubbard says, what do you think was Ken Holland's biggest reg- regret as Wings GM? I would say the Weiss contract. Uh, I'll go Abby here. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's depressing how many things are running through my mind right now how many options i'm gonna say the michael rasmussen pick that one really really did not work out not that rasmussen's a bad player we've talked ad nauseum about it but watching what nick suzuki is doing for montreal in the playoffs right now and what marty nichash is doing for carolina is depressing the ever-living hell out of me um and then also says, love the content, really looking forward to Sundays and Wednesdays. When do you think it's realistic to think about you three being back in the studio again? <sighs> Maybe the fall. We'll see how things go here. The for whatever is- it's worth, my second vaccine appointment is booked for September 7th. So we'll put that as a rough timeline. Yeah. 
the the issue is much like when I say or tweet anything about hockey, the opposite comes true the moment I put it on record. So I don't want to say a date <laughs> and get too excited. See, right now I feel like a Leaf fan because we're seeing all the daily cases in Ontario and they're plummeting in our region. They're plummeting and we see the vaccination rates. But the in the back of our minds, we're we're just waiting for whatever the hell it is that's going to cause the implosion. <laughs> Uh, next comments from Ryan say, come rocket. Sorry, because that is a crypto token and you're killing me inside. Brendan, uh, if you could be guaranteed Shane Wright or whichever pick you wanted, but the stipulation is you have to trade them. They can't play a game in the NHL with your franchise, or you could keep him. And for the next 20 years, may, you may not draft in the first round. What would you choose? Oh, definitely the pick and trade. Oh, a thousand percent. You would get a King's ransom for him. Everybody always forgets. Like, obviously, the Flyers traded for Eric Lindros, and he never played a game for the Nordiques. And Lindros turned out to be a Hall of Famer, so people remember that. The Nordiques got a haul for him that directly led to multiple Stanley Cups, including Peter Forsberg. So, yeah, I would much rather do that. Scott Martin said, oh, and then he says crypto to the moon. Uh, Scott Martin says, uh, honest question. Do you think it's better to be in a situation like ours having a near blank slate to build a future team with or a situation like Toronto slash Buffalo having elite talents, but still not being able to get certain past certain barriers year after year? Okay. I'll say I would prefer our situation to Buffalo's, even though they might have better higher end pieces with, uh, Deline and Eichel that there's something about that team that's just not working. I would prefer Toronto situation. Granted, Toronto has this thing where they can't capitalize on their own talent, but they have a lot of good young talent with a lot of time still left in the window. And the cap isn't pretty, but it's manageable, especially with who they have locked down. Well, it's a tough question because are we talking about just the players involved or are we talking about the entire organization? Because Right now, the Red Wings don't have an Austin Matthews. They don't have a Mitch Marner. They don't have a Jack Eichel. They don't have a Rasmus Dahlin. So if we're just looking at rosters, I would take either of them. And I think Detroit's prospects pool is better than Buffalo, but we don't have an Eichel or a Dahlin, and that would be a hell of a starting point. But if you're factoring in the entire organization, yes, obviously I prefer us over Buffalo. Uh, Deathman6452 says, Hey there, dub dub boys. All I can say about the lottery is at least we didn't go down. With the expansion, do you see Eisman making any 4D chess moves to get more picks uh, for this year or next year? Or should we simmer on any big moves till next year since we already have 12? Keep up the great content, boys, and pour one out for our boy Steve Dangle. Um, I think the best approach is to hope for it and know that that's something that Eisman's going to be working for. But the NHL inherently is unfun, so the chances are arbitrarily low. He's going to try. Yeah, that's the best you can do. Ruthless and Toothless says, let me preface this by saying I'm not complaining and I wouldn't change anything, but if the Caps were, to, were able to give Mantha top six minutes, why couldn't they have given Verona the same? Uh, Laviolette and Verona had a falling out from what I can understand. They really didn't see eye to eye. Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for that because all the analytics said, hey, once this guy's going to get more ice time, he's going to score like a fiend. And then he got to Detroit and they gave him ice time, mostly. And he scored like a fiend. So, yeah, I I don't know. 
Uh, Alan Snyder says, uh, my NHL draft has the Red Wings taking Wallset at six and Kosa at 23. Maybe in five years, we can have two of the highest paid goalies in the league. Yeah, just $20 million in goalies. Let's do it. Listen, I understand the arguments for Wallstead at six. I, I'm on record as saying I wouldn't do it, but I, I fully get it. If you're advocating for Wallstead and Kosa, share whatever you're taking because I could use whatever pick-me-up from this miserable life that you are getting. Josh Brink says, what's the worst playoff series you can remember watching? I think this Habs Jet series is up there for me, but I think it's probably the Ducks Devils Cup final in 03. Oh, that was a particularly bad series. Oh, that was terrible. Kings Devils wasn't that far behind. Um, God, all the bad, truly bad series come before the Stanley Cup finals, though. And the immediate one that jumps to mind for me, I can't remember if it was 08 or 09, but the Rangers Thrashers. Where everybody was all excited, Atlanta finally got to the playoffs, and then the Rangers just laid waste to them. At no point was Atlanta competitive in that series. I also hated the Penguins Sharks just because I knew it was going to happen the whole time. <laughs> Honestly, uh, yeah. Beer League Participation Trophy says, as if being a Red Wings fan wasn't hard enough because of this shit show of a podcast, you'll all have my dumb ass waking up on a Sunday morning to watch Formula One, but oh my god, Baku is hell of a drug. I'll tell you, any of you suckers that we, we or I, because Brad and Evan and I still haven't convinced, uh, tricked into watching Formula One with the rest of us, this weekend was an incredible, oh my, insane race. Just the writers... If they wrote this script, it would have been rejected because it would have been they would have been like, no, this is too far fetched. Uh, Baku is a city in Azerbaijan, uh, Brad. It's the capital. That's where they raced today. Okay, I don't. You had your you had your confused face on, so I thought I would explain it to you. Uh, hockey is gross now because I'm rooting for the Habs and Abs, and I feel disgusting. At least with Washington, we can uh, hope for Boston to get Ferked, which is my current North Star. Good to see Rossi skating again. Can't wait for NBC to lose their rights and excited to draft our franchise goaltender here in a few weeks. As good as it gets, says, do you think Chelios could make the current wings at 59 years old? Saw him sitting behind the plate at a Cubs game the other day, and he doesn't look like he is aged. I mean... Yeah, but that's more a testament to the Red Wings than it is Chris Chelios. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Hashman says, not sure what happened. Um, oh, there's something wrong with the comment. It says, uh, Price, uh, it was a comment about Price in making it worth the $10 million in the playoffs, putting up a nine fifty right now before game three, which is insane. Yep, the Montreal Canadiens uh, are getting are playing great hockey at the right time. Carey Price is playing out of his mind, and they're still not going to win the Stanley Cup. And then the real question is, who is available at pick six in 21 and 22? Any idea of those guys, Brad? Some names to throw out there. For what, sorry? Pick six in 2021 and 2022. <laughs> 2022, I don't have. But uh, on my rankings for 2021 at sixth, I have Kent Johnson. So there you go. Um, unless he meant next season, in which case I'm sorry, Kyle. Andrew Bohan says, hello, lovely dubbed up boys. Canada being Canada late in a tournament, eh? Also, LOL, Seb Vettel and Pierre Gasly go brr. Again, you guys should really watch F1. Oh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says 27 degrees in the shade here in Lead Scar outside Scar Plinge in the municipality of Chirp in Uppsala, Ian, Sweden. Uh, I was out mowing the lawn and the sweat was running down my back and soaking Death Valley. I <laughs> had this idea pop 
uh, back into my head. How about a summer competition where followers take pictures of themselves in winged wheel podcast gear and hashtag WWP on tour and a jury of our peers will select a winner. That would make for awesome summer content and fun. That would be a really cool thing. Oh my thing to God. Run. I love that idea. Yeah. Oh, that we- would be so fun. Do it. It's happening. It's on. Uh, I'll, also, power has been absolutely awesome in the worlds. Uh, as I write this, uh, a final, my Finnish brothers will win 4-1. Oh, well, that didn't age well. Sorry, Lars. Sam W says, it's not necessarily popular, uh, but what would you trade up or who would you trade up with for our Washington pick if they failed to say 20? Lots of players. Uh, it just depends who realistically has a chance to fall. Like, for example, without giving away my whole list before I post it, I have Logan Stankovin at 13 on my list. I will bet Logan Stankovin, not bet, but there's a really goddamn good chance he just makes it to 23. So I don't think I would trade up. I would look at the guys from my second tier. So if, uh, you know, a guy like Lucell fell, then that's when I start considering trading up. But then my next tier almost makes it to 23. So in my mind, there's no point trading up then. Uh, Gerald McDonald says, Hey guys, uh, camp was canceled last year to go to COVID due to COVID. Will this year's camp have more players than usual since the wing staff wasn't able to get a close view on them previously. I'm fully confident that the wings will invite as many players as they are allowed to. It's just dependent on where the world is at at that point. Yeah. As they are allowed to is going to be the key point. Aaron Hudson says, uh, Hey boys, would you be happy if the wings came out of the first round with Mason McTavish and Stankovin? The need at oh. center is a big one for me. Thrilled. That'd be a nice haul. Right. I know Evan's a Evan's a big McTavish guy, so I know he'd be happy with that pick. I mean, he's, he's, he's in my top 10, so he's not far off. Justin and the Angry Mob says, hey, fellas, with Zadina's ELC wrapping up after next season, do you think both sides will come together on a bridge or something longer? Um, and what should we hope for with in terms of term and value? I'll hang up and listen. I wouldn't hate an aggressive long-term contract for Zadina because I think Eisman could get it pretty cheap, but I think Zadina will want a bridge and that will be perfectly amenable to the team as well because Zadina hasn't exactly blown up, but he hasn't looked terrible either. So it works for both sides. All the signs of a guy who's about to have his coming out party were there for Zadina last year. Some bad luck, a low shooting percentage and a shitty supporting cast around him were all factors in why he didn't put up more points. So all those things are going to improve. And the foundations of his game were very, very, very good. So, yeah, I think Zadina is crazy if he doesn't uh, push for a bridge. Uh, Blue says, hey, boys, hope the weekend's treating you well. Sounds like Vince Dunn will probably be moved before the expansion draft. He's young uh, and a left side D. Uh, do you think the Wings should look into catching in a bit of their accumulated draft capital to make a run? Seems like he'd fit the window when they expect to be back in playoff contention. Same question for Ryan Graves if Colorado chooses to mo- uh, to move him before expansion. If yes, what do you think it would take to get the deal done? Um, I don't think Colorado is going to let go of Graves, so I'm going to look up Vince Dunn. He will be 25 very early into next season, so that is a pass for me. You think 25 is too late? To give up assets for? Yeah, if St. Louis is like, we just need to get rid of this guy, we'll take a third. Of course, you'd be crazy to not do it, but I I don't think that's going to be the price for Vince Dunn. Read the read around Baldwin shoving it in since 1984 says, so this garbage hockey team, Montreal, what's the deal? 
the deal is they're playing good playoff hockey. They're playing better than some of their parts. They deserve credit, and Carey Price is on a different level. I read a stat today that was Montreal's been on the penalty kill 29 times. They've given up three goals and have scored three shorthanded. They are even <sighs> on a... That's a heater. That is unreal. And I... it Montreal as a team isn't that good, but their penalty kill, oh, chef's kiss. It is aggressive. They are always an attack mentality, and they cover a lot of the defensive zone very quickly. Every team should look at Montreal's penalty kill and just go, yeah, we're going to do that. Getting dusted by five-year-old on skates says, I'll get a lot of flack for this, having not watched any racing since Dale Sr. died, but what are the differences between Indy and F1? I see F1 talked about in the Discord and why uh, should anyone not root for Hamilton? Seems like he's almost automatic or maybe Verstappen. I don't know a lot about IndyCar. Um, F1 is supposed to be like the premier, like fastest race, but I, I, the fans of IndyCar that I know think it's really good too. Someone better qualified in the Discord can tell you about it. Uh, Hamilton and Verstappen. Hamilton is arguably the GOAT up there with Schumacher, but he's like late 30s, but still, he's basically LeBron every time LeBron comes out with another prime, like at age 36, this year notwithstanding. Um, and people hate on him because they're tired of him winning, which I honestly understand. Verstappen is 23 and already one of the best talents ever. So, yeah. Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, uh, as I mentioned on Twitter, all my posts are Jesper Wallstedt propaganda. First off, as my meme said, six overall Wallstedt is a reality, Brad. Not a dream, a reality. Ryan, as my vessel for convincing Brad, show this injury-prone friend of ours why Wallstedt is my love and my life. Even if he doesn't agree, my point is moot and life is meaningless. <laughs> Uh, or if Evan doesn't agree, my point is moot and me- meaningless. Where are you on the wall step? Yes or no, like black or white, where are you on wall step right now, Evan? Like taking him at six? Yeah. yeah. You're not allowed to explain. It's just yes or no. No. Thank you. All right. I thought we were. <laughs> um, Evan Beckner says, who's the bigger waste of sports greatest, the sports greatest player, McDavid in Edmonton or Trout in Anaheim? Trout in oh, Anaheim. A thousand yeah. percent Mike Trout. They have Shohei Otani as well, and they're below 500. I don't know enough about baseball to get into the nitty gritty of it, but if you have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and you are below 500, everybody in that organization needs to be fired. Yeah. The part that made me sad was seeing the statistics on how Mike Trout might actually finish as the Greatest baseball player of all time by the numbers. And, and he might like, never play another baseball game. Or another playoff baseball game. I was like, what happened? <laughs> Devastating uh, injury happened two minutes ago. Like if Rick Choate says, if Buffalo takes powers, does he stay at Michigan or are they going to rush him to the NHL to appease Jack Eichel? Do you keep saying powers? They wrote powers and I read it out because I'm a dummy, but I didn't okay. correct it. Because I can't okay. parse it. That's the second time. time I've heard it this episode. I'm like, is yeah. he doing this on purpose just to test me? I will do it quite a bit because I keep reading what people say. I know it's yeah. Anyways, okay. Um, uh, if there's any team that will rush him, it's Buffalo. <laughs> Canceler of podcasts is Good Day Dud Duds. I noticed Brad Chief Dummy 
fell into the trap of reading into something Steve Eisman said after Steve Eisman specifically said, I wouldn't read into anything I say. I'm going to assume it may have had something to do from minor blood loss trying to sever a finger and get workers comp and not having to work anymore. We're on to you. After watching some of the post-regular season exhibition games, there's something very unsettling and drawing about the Tampa Bay cap circumventions just slapping around a team wearing red and white with a certain check net netminder. <laughs> I feel like this year's uh, this is undoing years of therapy. Wow. <laughs> way to project it. I wasn't thinking about it that way. Shit. Jersey time noted fun hater and bad opinion man Bradley John Crisco was wrong last week when he said he didn't like the snow wave team's blue pants no rebuttals will be taken at this time best round two jersey matchups go round two wow, jersey I, matchups hold on I actually no rebuttals taken at this majority. time I'm not arguing the point I'm just saying I thought I was in the majority opinion on that and I will actually be surprised if I'm not based on what my timeline has said about them let this be known that it is stricken from the record of this podcast. Uh, I think Avs and Golden Knights are the best second round uh, jersey matchup. Honorable mention here to Montreal, Winnipeg, if we had to pick another one, in my mind. Nah, it would be Colorado, Vegas running away if it wasn't for that blue equipment, but it it still wins. Stay Fresh Cheese Bags says this post is brought to you by Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, a Fournier company. Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. When Pierre Maguire starts talking, slip one over your head and relax <laughs> into the sweet release from consciousness. Seriously, I get so angry when he starts talking. I want to punch him in his stupid Melvin face. Your top five worst Pierre moments go. You don't need five. You need one. It's can you believe can it? you believe I it? I can. Of the, one of the greatest moments in Canadian hockey history, and he ruins it. Well, not ruins it, but he ruins it. Someone literally made a variation of that on YouTube where they just muted Pierre's mic for the entirety of the call, and it might be the single greatest moment in hockey history. It is so good. Uh, I don't know. There's the one about Phil Kessel's breath. Um. I don't want to give up anything more than a third and a low tier prospect for Nolan Patrick. Any package, any package with Hronik is already too much. Uh, Nolan needs time off to heal his lingering concussion issues. Brad, call me crazy, but I'm really leaning towards McTavish at six over the likes of Eklund, Johnson, and Clark. Am I crazy? Thoughts? Um, not crazy. Um, if those three that you mentioned specifically are gone by pick six, I would very seriously consider McTavish. Um, but yeah, no, if Eklund, Clark, and Johnson are there. I I would not take McTavish. AJ Voss says watching Mrazic follow up a 946 save percentage game with a 769 one really took me back. I was pissed when we moved on, but it's worked out well. Are there any past moves like that when you were pissed when it happened, but then it largely ended up being fine? I mean, yeah, everything has happened during the rebuild pretty much. Every player that the Red Wings have lost has been okay. Um the Athens CU trade mostly for me. Yeah. That one has yeah. gone far better than I thought, but, and that's even with like Athens to bouncing back this year with LA. So that's kind of a, everybody wins except Edmonton. Um, Reed also says how much did Gallant's coaching figure into Canada's win at the world championships? So what are the implications for his potential return? I think anytime you have a group of players who don't always play together, the coach does play a big role. Um, and he did earn himself a lot of brownie points for teams who yeah, are looking for a coach. Da, 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 da. Uh, Logan Couture's broken ankle says Nolan Patrick for the Rangers second round pick that Detroit owns. Yeah, if, if Philly wanted to take that, I'd gladly do it. I don't think they would. Oh, yeah. Though. 
a thousand percent. Nolan Patrick's already an NHL player. I mean, what's that pick? 48th. So that's like a 40% chance you get a half decent NHL out of that pick. Yeah, I make that trade. Tyler C says, do you have any players on the do not draft list after seeing Barron's flop like a soccer player in the U18s? I really hope he's not a wings pick. Uh, you know how Eisenman loves his character, guys, but I, I do like Barron's. Um, I don't really have anybody on my do not draft list, at least nobody that I've done any research on, which is in my top like, you know, 60-ish guys right now. Um, the only reason anybody would end up on my do not draft list is if they have some like major, very public character flaws. Like, um, I can't even remember his name, but that douche nozzle that the coyotes took last year. Um, time for a couple Reddit questions. I'm sorry. We ran long here. Uh, T44T says, who do you think Cider's competition is for the Calder next year? He doesn't Uh, have any. Quentin Byfield, maybe if he breaks in with LA. Yeah, Byfield's LA is probably going to have like four guys in contention if we're being honest here. Um, yeah, I'm not convinced anybody from this draft plays. So who else has been drafted and hasn't? Cole Caulfield will be eligible now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the one. <laughs> and I, there are a bunch of good questions here. Please feel free to ask them again next episode. I apologize. But we're going to take one more here from Elamere. says, uh, hey, from Germany, I started listening to the pod when the Wings drafted Cider and stayed for the quality content. Uh, I listened back and I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised about how much more upbeat and happy you all sounded at the beginning of this when the show started. <laughs> and you had some freezing cold takes. Favorite was probably Brad saying the only reason I'd be remotely okay with Babcock leaving is Blashill. He also wanted Holland to go all in on oh. the 2016 class. His favorite was Ocposo, if not Ladd or Erickson, who's so good. I love Louis Erickson. He's so underrated. Ryan thought the Abbey contract wasn't all that bad, and Evan never had a bad opinion in his life, obviously. So the the one thing to say here is the upbeat thing was funny because at the time – when we first started out the podcast and we had a very small following and obviously we wanted to make sure that this show stuck on, um, we took a lot of flack for saying that the rebuild should start sooner. Yeah, we were too w- negative. That was our yeah, biggest yeah, yeah. criticism. We were more upbeat then. As you said, we were more upbeat, which had us have a, a better outlook and we we're more positive about things. And that's when we had all our worst takes. So. The lesson to be taken here is pessimism is truth. Welcome. Uh, Yeah. I will never get over trying to defend the abdicator and even De Kaiser contracts. Those are my two worst takes of my life. I am ashamed of it, but hey, nobody's perfect. (laughs) Oh my God. I'll never, ever forgive myself for that 2016 free agency because I still remember clearly leading for months leading up to it. Our only thought on that free agency was Stamkos, 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 Stamkos. Shit, he re-signed in Tampa. Who the fuck else is available? Oh yeah, these guys are pretty good. Like quickly looking at the numbers. Oh, he's all right. Oh, he's all right. Oh, he's all right. And it turned out to be the worst day of free agency in NHL history. So yeah, you know, that shit show. All right. We do have to wrap up this episode. We'll see you guys again midweek, hopefully with a very fun little surprise next episode. For now, we'd like to thank all of our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker. Say hi to your mom. Uh, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greach, 
Han Ali, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin, and the Angry Mob, brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Justin. Uh, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Ryan Say, you know, you know that crypto token, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, cautiously pessimistic, fine, Crisco, not betting on it, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, um, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets. Reed, the read around Baldwin, shoving it in since 1984. Stan Olson, stay fresh cheese bags, Trevor Pevabar. Thank you all so much. See you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.